Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more, or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website, www.southsidepc.org, or visit us any Sunday morning at 9am. The reading from Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 8. This is in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, by the way. Jesus has just been talking to people about giving to the needy and he's now talking to them about prayer. And he says, Do not be like them, as the Pharisees. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Thanks, Dave. Uh, As Dave mentioned, we are in the middle of a a short series on the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, yeah, it's just been an exciting journey about who... Uh, Jesus said his disciples are, what they should look like and to hit prayer is something we should be excited about. Well, I hope you get excited by the end of it anyway. I'm going to pray now that God will help us to understand and appreciate these words. Let's pray. Dear Father God, just thank you for uh, being with us as you say you are. When we meet, when we open your word, your spirit is amongst us. And we do pray that you'd help us to not only draw near to you, but to actually know you more. That We know how the relationship looks like, the relationship that you desire for us. So we do pray that you'd give us ears to listen and a heart to to take it in. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. How do you talk to someone famous? I'm not sure whether you've met anyone famous. I don't... I've met people who are famous to me, but I'm sure you probably wouldn't even recognise their names. But how do you feel when you come up to someone famous? Because all of a sudden, what you say or how you act is the pressure's on, right? You don't want to blow the chance. It's not every day we meet someone famous, but we want to make the opportunity to say something smart or clever or just to leave a good impression. So how do we do that? In the passing of the Queen... Uh, there's been a whole lot of stories about the Queen and some of her, um, the little things that have happened to her. One story that's come out is when she was in her uh, Scottish home, a summer place uh, at Balmoral, and she was out walking with her bodyguard, and a couple of American tourists come up to her uh, and the bodyguard, and they were just chatting about the place, because they were tourists, they were asking about the place, and they said, oh, have you met the Queen? They didn't realise who they were talking to. And she says, no, actually, I haven't. But pointing to the bodyguard, she said, he has. He meets her regularly. And their attention went straight to the bodyguard and they had all these, what's she like? How is she? When they asked her what's she like, he says, and this is his version of the story, he's saying it, well, she can be a bit cantankerous, (laughs) but with a lovely sense of humour, she says to them in front of her. This conversation went on for a little while with her to the side, them talking to him, and then they didn't want to blow the moment, so they wanted a selfie with him because they'd actually met somebody who'd met the Queen. But who's going to take the photo? They give the camera to the Queen. 
she obliges and takes the photo of them. Now, after they'd left, she said to the bodyguard, gee, I'd, I'd love to be a fly on the wall when they finally work out what just happened here. But how do you act when you meet someone famous? Somebody else shares a very different story about the Queen. Former Prime Minister Tony Blair, Prime Minister of England, um, he wrote about her and he said, uh, quote, you don't get matey with the Queen, you, know, you don't get friendly with the Queen. Occasionally, she can be matey with you, but don't you try to reciprocate or you will get the look from her. So, what are you doing? And we kind of, I think I know what he means. I can imagine her with the look. And you don't want that. You don't want to upset somebody famous, somebody you respect. Now, I wonder how we view God and what God is like. You know, God is always there. I wonder, do we even view God a bit like the Queen? You know, a bit of a sense of humour, a bit of a lighthearted. He accepts us as we are, but you don't want to upset him or else you'll get the look from God. So then how do we talk to God? So how we understand who God is and what he's like actually impacts not only what we think of him and how we think we should act before him, but also how we talk before him because we're invited to pray to him, we're invited to engage with him, we're invited to have a relationship with him, but what should that look like? Well, Jesus says uh, this, this, in this Sermon of the Mount, he's talking to disciples, as in not just the 12 disciples, but lots of people, followers of Jesus. And he says, well, this is how you should pray. And he spends a lot of time talking about who God is and then what to actually say to him. Because who you're praying to is important. It's important for you to know who you're praying to. I'm just breaking this up into three parts this morning. Who, you, uh, who you're praying to... What are you praying for and how are you praying? Um, I'll give you the heads up. The first point's the longest point. Who are you praying to? Because Jesus goes on. Uh, we had it read out for us. But it's just a short bit. This is then it's how you should pray. Our heavenly Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Or hallowed is just another name for holy. Holy is your name. Holy you are. Now there's two parts to this which I think we're kind of familiar with but kind of not familiar with. To call God our Father, I think we kind of get what that means because we all have fathers of some kinds, that, that relationship, even if it's not a perfect relationship. We know what a fatherly relationship should be or could be and that's what we see in God, that God is our Father. I think it's not too hard for us in our generations to, to work that out, that God can be a Father God to us. But there's this other part. It's almost like the different extreme. Father is very intimate. It's very relational. I know him. He knows me. That's what a father relationship looks like. But then you get this other bit. He's in heaven. So far from us. He's hallowed beyond it. Holy is he. In fact, so holy that we can't stand in his presence. He's so perfectly pure. And we're not. So how do you stand before a perfectly holy God? How do we do that? So, but we've got to hold these things together. 
Now, we need to spend a bit of time because this is the bit. The holy bit is the bit I think we struggle a bit with today because I think we want to um, bring down all our, our structures. It's almost like the royal family. We don't like seeing them as up there. We like seeing them as normal people, so we bring them down to our level, relational. But to actually go, no, to be holy means not. You actually are in a position of authority and far above us because of his perfect purity. So I want to take you on a little bit of a journey through the Bible, just going, how do people respond to a holy God like this? So we're just going to flick through about five different passages, just quickly. Today, how do, we, how do people respond to it when they come across the holy God? The first one is Moses. Moses is walking along, this is in Exodus chapter 3, and he comes across a burning bush. It's like, oh, this is pretty intriguing. I'm going to go and check it out. And as he goes to check it out, this bush that's burning but doesn't completely burn, it just continues to burn, he gets this voice from God saying, do not come any closer. Take off your sandals for the place you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Now, if you're like me, you would be intrigued by this fire. I like um, fire pits. I like sitting around the fire. So the idea of having a little fire that never goes out, you never have to get the wood for, is kind of cool. The idea of bringing up my chair with a cold drink and if God wants to talk to me, that sounds kind of appealing. But Moses is not thinking that at all. And I'm not there before the presence of God. Moses is there and he's not thinking, this is cool, I'm just going to chill out and talk to God. No, his response is, I'm in a holy place. I'm going to kick off my shoes. I'm going to hide my face from God because he's too holy for me. I have to hold back. Now, why? Why is it that the holiness is, you need that response, that I can't be in his presence? Well, in Leviticus chapter 11, from verse 44, uh, God explains how his holiness, you can't just approach his holiness. He says, I am the Lord your God, consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am holy. Consecrate means um, clean yourselves up, make yourself special, different to the world because you're mine, you're coming to my presence. So they had to do these purification ceremonies and be holy because I am holy. Then he goes on to say, don't make yourselves unclean, like you know, dealing with things of the world. Therefore, be holy because I am holy. The bar is set really high, right? If you want to be in God's presence, if you want to deal with God, you've actually got to be holy, be perfectly pure. To feel attention here because I know I can't say, well, I'm holy, I'm perfectly pure. Sure, I'm going to be there, just can't do it. And it's not just in the Old Testament, it goes on in the New Testament. When Jesus comes, uh, Jesus comes as the Son of God, so he is God, has all the attributes of God, but he comes in human form, human flesh, so we can see and understand who God is uh, firsthand. And he comes across Peter, a fisherman. Peter's just been trying to, to fish, and he's got no fish. But then Jesus from the shore says, hey, throw your, boat, throw your nets out on that side of the boat. And he caught so many fish, he needs some other boats to come and help him pull it in. But when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. At this point, he hasn't heard Jesus preach a word. This is just meeting him. And already he can see this guy is just not an ordinary guy. 
He's divine. He's God. He's holy. That's why he says, go away from me, because I'm a sinner. I know sinners can't come before a holy God. So go away from me. So there's fear in being before a holy God. Now, this is just seeing Jesus catch a few fish. What about when Peter comes across not just seeing Jesus in his human form, but as Jesus reveals himself in his divine, more of his divine nature, you might say. In Matthew chapter 17, this thing, thing where Jesus calls Peter, <coughs> uh, James and John, two other, so three disciples up on the mountain, uh, and there it says um, Jesus was transfigured before them. So he's, they're not just seeing Jesus covered in human flesh, describes it, his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as the light. It's a little glimpse of what Jesus looks like, um, like in, uh, in heaven, not just clothed uh, in flesh and blood. But then there appeared before them were Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Now, these are two Old Testament characters. Uh, Moses was a great prophet, and that Moses said, there will be one far greater than me. Elijah was another great prophet and said, there will be another Elijah, but better than Elijah. And he's not just Jesus claiming, I'm the one, I'm better. No, it's actually Moses and Elijah going, he's the one. Here is Jesus, the Son of God, with us, the great prophet. But at that time, a bright, a bright cloud covered them. So as the fog come over this mountain, these guys were all fishermen. You can read their stories before, like Peter. They're used to cloud cover. They're not scared of cloud cover or fog coming over them. But out of this uh, bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, how are they going to react? I think, cool, all this is unfolding before the three of them. They're in the presence of God. They've got Jesus, the Son of God, in all his glory. They've got God the Father speaking out of the cloud. They've got two Old Testament prophets testifying to Jesus. This is a cool moment. You want to just soak up, maybe crack out a hymn, sing praises to him. But what do they do? They fell face down to the ground, terrified. The literal reading of that in the Greek, as it was written, is they fell on their faces. Not that they tripped over, but they're in a holy place before God, in the presence of God. They cannot stand. They fall down with their faces down, not in praise and worship. They're terrified before a holy God, perfectly pure. And, and just, they know how it feels. So it's easy for us to go, oh, we'd do this, we'd do that. But no, these guys were there, tough guys. What about people who weren't followers of Jesus? So these have been followers of Jesus. What about people who weren't followers of Jesus? How did they respond? There's this part where uh, Judas was one of the 12, betrayed Jesus, had enough of Jesus, wanted him dead. So he went to the religious people who also wanted to kill him and um, for exchange of money would come and tell tell them where Jesus was so they could arrest him to ultimately have him killed on the cross. Uh, but what happened was when they went to the garden, this is in John chapter 18, Judas came to the garden guiding a detachment of soldiers and some of the officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. These are tough guys. These are like Hitler's SS men. They're going to deal with all the religious mess in, in 
in uh, Jerusalem and Jesus was not on their side, so they were going to take him out. They're there to arrest Jesus to ultimately kill him. They're tough guys. They were carrying torches, lanterns and weapons. And Jesus asked them, who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. They know who they want. I am he, Jesus said. When Jesus said, I am he, they didn't run out with their torches and weapons and jump on him and king hit him and tie him down, wrap him up in chains. What did they do? They drew back and fell on the ground. These are not falling down to worship. These are like, we actually hate you. We think you're a heretic. We want to kill you. But actually realising this is God, this is something about the words, I don't know what that is, this is all the information we've given, but it's something about coming into the presence of Jesus when he reveals himself like that. His holiness, no one can stand. They fall to the ground. Jesus actually has to tell them, look, I'm still here, come, you need to arrest me so this will all take place. People can't stand before the holiness of God. And needless to say, there's a picture of that when we get to heaven. There's a little picture uh, talking about Jesus on the throne and all the heavenly creatures around him, all the elders around him, all the angels standing around him. Uh, in Revelation 4, it has a little picture where it says, each of the four living creatures had six wings and covered with eyes all around. These are heavenly beings. And under, his, and under their wings, day and night, they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Now, they do something a little bit different to our English. They don't, in the Greek, when it was written, uh, they don't have a word for very. Like we would say somebody is very, very strong. Uh, but instead of using very strong, they would go, if they want to emphasise strong, they would go, they're strong, strong. Or if they're like a Hulk-like figure, they're strong, strong, strong. Because they don't have the word very. So when they're saying holy, 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 it's not just musical. They're going, he's very, very, very holy. Lord Almighty, like, it's not just a little bit holy, it's like, holy, holy, holy. It's, you can't miss it. So then skip a couple of chapters, same scene, chapter 7. All the angels, all the heavenly creatures, all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, praise and glory to wisdom and thanks and honour and power and strength to the God forever and ever. Amen. There's nothing in heaven. He's still on their feet. They're all bowing down to him. Because no one can stand before the holiness of God. We need to appreciate this. The holiness of God. So when Jesus says, I'm sorry, go back to the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, in to talking to people, this is first century Roman Empire, they have a very big view of God. They get God's holiness. They get their sinfulness. And he's talking to religious people, he's talking to peasants, poor people. They get how they are unworthy to be before God. They get God's holiness. But when Jesus says, you can call him Father, this is like amazing. Some people got so upset that they thought it was heresy. That you can't just say this holy, holy, holy God is your Father. That's just, that's just wrong. And that was one of the reasons they wanted to kill Jesus. But for a lot of other people go, are you serious? This holy, holy, holy God. 
knows me. I have a connection with. I can call him Father. Like they get it. It brought joy to them. For us, I think we've got the opposite problem. We go, yes, Father God, yeah, we can call him Father because we're, we're relational, we get it, we've grown up with the idea. It's not new to us. But the idea that Jesus is saying, our Father, who is in heaven, holy is his name, that should make us step back and go, wow, I can't take this for granted. No one can stand before a holy God. Yet Jesus is saying to his disciples, because of me, because we're followers of Jesus, the Son of God, it's like a um, connection through association, because we trust in Jesus, we can then draw near to God in his holiness and we can call him Father. We need a bigger view of God, his perfect purity. We're still unworthy. We cannot stand before him. But through Jesus, Jesus invites us into this relationship. He invites us in. The people in Jesus' day were shocked by calling him Father. We can be shocked by saying, how can you make God this big? Let me give you some examples. Because he's so uh, big, the... the um, Theological word might be transcendent. He's over all things. He's everywhere. He knows everything. God is transcendent. He's perfectly pure. He's like reigning over all the earth, all his creation, that we wouldn't be able to stand before him. We wouldn't be able to stand in his presence. It's kind of a nice thought that if God appeared here, and God does promise to be with us when we meet and when we open his word, but if God appeared here in a physical form, we would like to think, or I would like to think, hey, let's get the band up and let's sing praises to God because this is an awesome opportunity. But in fact, if you look at scripture, no one's going to be standing. We're all going to be face planted on the ground because of his holiness. He's a big God and we're not worthy. That makes us feel uncomfortable. It's a different view of God than maybe some of us cling to. God's holiness is too much for us to handle. Unless we follow Jesus, unless we trust in Jesus, unless we cling to Jesus and his invitation into this relationship. So as a disciple of Jesus, he says, you can call him Father. Your Father. Even though he's the holy, holy, holy God. Big holy don't be like the people who were talking to the queen, didn't recognise her, talked around her but not to her. Sometimes our prayers can be like that. Oh God, I need this to happen, that to happen, I want this. But we actually don't recognise that he's our Father God but also the Holy One that reigns over all, this, this, all his kingdom, that we are invited into that. That's who we're praying to. We'll spend a bit of time on that because it, once you get that, the rest makes a whole lot more sense. Because Jesus goes on then to what to pray for. What to pray for. It's in three parts. God's kingdom, our needs and our sin. So when he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, it's inviting us, we want to experience what it's like to be in God's kingdom. We get a few bits of glimpses on what that's like. We get in creation, uh, before sin come into the world, um, 
There was a perfect place for Adam and Eve. There was no pain, no hurts, and uh, they were happy and joyful doing their work. God walked with them. They had intimacy with God until they turned their back on him and sinned. We had a little bit of a glimpse at it in uh, the kingdom when God promises to build a kingdom through David and Solomon. The kingdom's great. They're expanding. They've got wealth. They've got no needs. And they really celebrate the fact they've got peace. They don't have to worry about the enemies. They don't have to worry about their threats. In the end, they sinned and it all fell apart again. And we get another picture in heaven, but in heaven's not going to fall apart, where there's this picture of a wedding banquet where we're all together, we're all celebrating, having a good time, hanging out with Jesus, where there's no pain, no suffering. You want to be in God's kingdom. And this is the prayer to go, God, I want to live under your rule. I want to live under your kingdom. But it's also a way of confessing, actually, my kingdom is not going so great. I need to let go of it. I'm not as good a ruler as God. My kingdom's not as good as God's kingdom. So if we want God's kingdom, we actually go, I'm going to let go of what I have here. Start clinging on to what you've got for me. Lord, bring your kingdom. We're praying for our needs. Give us today our daily bread. He says, now, this is a lot more um, obvious, the need for this, if you live off the land and live in the country where your daily needs do come from what you harvest or what you're farming. Uh, yeah, bad season means you don't get fed. Uh, small business owners can feel like the same. You know, we know we depend on God. We know we depend on him bringing us business for our business to survive and our income. Um, if you're on a wage, it's less necessary. It doesn't matter what's going on in the business. I get a wage, so it's, I don't think we appreciate this as much. But what Jesus is saying, you can depend on God for your needs and you should be asking God to provide your needs. And it actually fits in what we saw a couple of weeks ago when Jesus said, don't store yourself treasures here on earth, but store up for yourselves treasures on heaven. Because when we store for ourselves treasures here on earth, we're storing up for ourselves our needs. I can look after myself because I've got all this nice stuff around me. No, no, I'm actually going to let go of the stuff around me now and just trust in God that he's going to supply my needs. Jesus invites us to ask him. And our sins, to deal with our sins, to forgive our debts as we also forgive the debts, uh, as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. So do with this sin, because sin is a word we use, it's kind of a Christian word, a churchy word, but it describes how offensive we can be to other people, and I think we get it. If we do something that offends somebody else, uh, we say something or do something, it directly impacts our relationship. Our relationship's been broken because I've said something harmful or done something harmful or haven't done something that is loving. And that's harmful. So the right thing to do to restore the relationship is to apologise, to genuinely say, I'm sorry. It's the same with God. To actually say to God, look, I'm sorry, please forgive me of my sins, is a way of going, I want this relationship restored. I need it restored. And in fact, I'm not just going to ask for uh, forgiveness. I'm going to ask for protection from the evil one, <clears throat> from Satan, that he would not keep tempting me to do the wrong thing. And I know God can answer that prayer too, that he can save me from that because this relationship is so important. And the reason Jesus says all this is important is because this is what our Father God desires for you. 
He wants you to enjoy his kingdom now as in heaven. He wants you to enjoy that. He wants to supply your needs. He's not a God that's going to starve you or keep you at arm's length. He wants to be a father who blesses and gives good gifts. He wants to be in good relationship. He wants your sins forgiven. He also wants you to learn from it and forgive other people's sins as well because you know how good it is to be forgiven. This is what God wants for you. He's just saying, come and ask him for it. He doesn't want a life like that. Live under God's rule in his kingdom. Now, he supplies my needs. I don't have to be anxious about it. That my sins are forgiven. I'm in perfect relationship with this holy, holy, holy God. This is important. This is a good prayer to be praying for. But Jesus says this is how to pray. It's how to pray. See, there's this one more thing that he goes on to. uh, In chapter 7 about prayer as well and it gives us insight to the lord's prayer and this is the idea of how we're to pray because i think this is quite different i think i'm guilty of this and maybe you are too of going to god and go if i say the right words in the right order it's a little bit like groveling if i say to god you'll say or if i stroke his ego then he might give me stuff he'll answer my prayer if i say the right words and make it more sound more spiritual oh holy father you know if we use that sort of his language that he might engage with me more that that i might somehow deserve his blessing but jesus says something really interesting here He says, ask and it will be given to you. He's talking about prayer. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. This is how we should pray. Just go and don't hold back. I'm telling you, ask, seek, knock. Why? He goes on to say in verse 9, which of you, if if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Who said God doesn't have a sense of humour? Who's going to give him a stone if he asks for bread? Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. That would be funny, but God's not going to do that. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? He's your Father God. He's going to answer your prayers bigger and better even than you imagine doesn't necessarily mean uh, if we pray for things like treasures on earth that he's going to answer those things. He's going to be praying good things that align to his will. But his answers to prayer are always better than our thoughts. But here's the thing. Jesus uses words, and sometimes in our English we get so familiar with it that uh, we sort of miss it. But they're commands. And Jesus commands, ask, seek, knock. He's not saying... Do it if you feel like it, or you might try it. He's talking to his disciples. He says, I'm telling you, ask God. Seek God. Knock on that door and God will answer. He's commanding them to do it. So for us in our prayers, we're invited into this boldness, to be bold and specific with our prayers. Now, we can actually see this in the Lord's Prayer. Underlined uh, these, these commands. Um, your kingdom come. In the English, yeah, we sort of miss it. But no, God, send your kingdom. Bring it. Your will be done. It's kind of one word in the Greek. Um, that, that 
you make it happen. It's not a please, it's actually, Lord, make this happen. Give us today our daily bread. Is actually as bold as we can do before a holy, holy, holy God. Give us today, supply our needs, Lord. And the last one, deliver us from evil. Actually, the forgive us is another one. Forgive us is a command to God. Deliver us from the evil one, another command to God. This is actually, it's pushing me out of my comfort zone that humbly I come before a holy, holy, holy God that I can call Father, that I can go specifically, God, I need you to, to supply my daily bread. God, I, I need you to bring your kingdom because that's the only thing that's going to satisfy my heart. God, I need you to deliver me from the evil one. Be bold. Be specific. This is amazing. To me, this is a new thing for me. To actually go, don't be timid with God. Actually, be bold. Be specific. This is how we are to pray. So when we get who we're speaking to, he's a father God who's holy, holy, holy. What to pray? Pray for God's things that God wants for us, but also how to pray. Actually, be specific, be bold, bring it before him. I just want to bring up just a few handy hints to do this, because this is, this is great to, to engage with God, but if your prayer life is down here, we know we'd love it to be up here, here's a few thoughts. To pray regularly. What I mean is, it is hard to go from zero to a hundred. You hear all these stories about these, these great prayer warriors that get up at like 3 a.m. in the morning and there's little divots in the floorboards where their knees were every morning. It's hard to do that, right? But work on what's what your prayer life work like now and just what's it going to look to be better? So if you're not praying regularly, what does it look like to be praying routinely, say in the morning or at night? I remember for us, um, when, when our kids were smaller, we really struggled with reading the Bible with our kids because reading at a level that they could understand, we really struggled with. But we could always pray with them every night. How's your day? What can we pray for? Let's talk to God together. Every night was a routine prayer for us. But make it regular, make it routine. If you're praying uh, short prayers, try setting aside 20 minutes. You know, think about what you're praying for. Uh, let me encourage you, pray regularly. Pray with a method. Uh, this is what a lot of people have found helpful. Uh, this acronym ACTS, Adoration, Confession, Thanks, Supplication. Supplication is just a fancy, almost religious word that just means ask, but it fits. X sounds better than actor. Um, but adoration, to actually use what we've just read. Our Father God, holy are you. Holy are you, my Father God. I know I can't stand before you, but it's such a privilege to pray to you. Reflect on what we've just been talking about. Uh, confession, to actually be specific. Say, Lord, I have failed you. I need forgiveness. I know I'm working on these areas and I need your help and even to um, protect me from the evil one, remove me from temptation. To thank God. Thank God's almost like looking back a little bit. Lord, I can see the way you've been working my life. I can see the way you've been blessing me. And I want to thank you for that. Even though they're hard things, I want to thank you uh, for giving me those life lessons. Thank him. And supplication to ask. Ask for things in the future. Ask that, that God would uh, help with anything coming up. Ask, pray 
for different people, different things. But to be bold, to be that bold, to ask God. Uh, pray regularly, pray with a pattern if that works. But also pray specifically. So you can pray for other people, pray for yourself. But pray for things that you can really, you might say measurable. What is measurable? I want to share with you an experience I had many years ago. And I've told this story over the years because it had such an impact on me in my life. Uh, when our church was much smaller and uh, Kim and I and the, our kids were little, um, we'd been at Southside for a little while, McGregor it was called then, in the little old house. We had about 40 people, I think. Um, there were no other families with kids our age, or their age. That was a concern for us, raising kids without a Christian peer group. And an older lady in our church challenged me to go, Ross, I think our prayer life could be better if we prayed specifically. Uh, and this lady, yeah, was bold and specific in telling me this. Ross, try it. You need to pray more specific. So I thought, okay, I'm going to take up this challenge. I'm going to pray more specifically. I'm going to pray to God that God would bring <clears throat> a family along to church that had kids our kids' age. That would be an answer to prayer. Okay, I'm going to be bold. I'm going to also pray, we're in a little old house with lots of building issues, we didn't know how to move forward, I'm going to pray for a builder, that a builder, God would supply a builder into our church family. That's pretty bold, pretty specific. I'm going to go one step further. Our band was going okay, but they were complaining, man, if we had a set of drums, that would be so much better. Okay, add it to the list. God, could we have a drummer someone who could play the drums.